0: Hello, we're starting into a new series today where we are going to address topics that are particularly politically charged right now. It'll be a little um, move away from what we typically do with scripture where we'll move through a book of the Bible uh, expositionally, uh, kind of verse by verse. Uh, But some have expressed in our churches that they like to become better informed about what God has to say about some certain issues. Uh, because they're issues that come up and we talk about them and they're in our face. So um, topics like abortion, uh, immigration, sexuality and gender, the environment. So we're going to spend just a week or two on each topic. Uh, Obviously, these will just be a snapshot, a brief snapshot of each of those topics. We won't be able to cover even everything that scripture has to say on most of those. Um, We're not going to explore how we should necessarily vote or what policies we should try to put in place. Um, And believe it or not, we have people uh, in our churches, I'd say, who are registered with both of the main political parties, maybe uh, even some others as well. So um, Christians may share the heart of Jesus on a topic, but I'd just like to say they might have different ways to address that in society. So we're not looking to agree 100% on all the actions that we should take or shouldn't take um but just looking into scripture to say what does scripture clearly tell us and what is it not um, if i'm 100 percent honest i get kind of nervous about bringing up some of these topics not that um, i don't think scripture speaks to them but there is great potential for division uh, even within our church and uh, talking about these topics is definitely not something that uh, would be a recommended church growth strategy in fact it might kill your church um, but I have held on to this, maybe you've heard me say it before, that we as God's family should be able to talk about anything, because a defining characteristic of Christians is that we love each other. And a beautiful example of this, I think, is in local church of Los Angeles. Um, in the past few kind of tumultuous political years, this you all have been a congregation with a fair amount of ethnic diversity, um, political party diversity, and through COVID and through um, the continuing kind of race turmoil in our country, uh, this church has really stuck together and sought the Lord together in those things and stayed unified in many ways. And so I'm really thankful for that, and I believe that it can continue to happen in our churches. I pray that we will continue on In that Um, the format of these coming weeks is going to start as we typically do with just a 20 or 30 minute lecture Um, in this we'll look at kind of the primary passages relating to each topic of the week and uh, whoever's teaching that'll give some kind of exegesis or teaching on that on those passages what does scripture say explicitly what does it not say And uh, even what does it say implicitly or what kind of general truths or principles can we kind of understand to help us navigate the topic then we'll have as we always do a discussion and um, in that discussion I hope to accomplish a couple of things one that we would kind of summarize if we can what is God's heart on this topic Um, maybe some of you will bring some other passages uh, to the table that we need to consider it will be a fair question to ask as we're discussing these things. Is there a place in Scripture that makes you think that whatever you're whatever you're saying? And maybe there's not a place in Scripture. It's okay to say, you know, I just kind of get this general feeling that this is what God wants or this just kind of makes sense to me. That's okay too. Those opinions can go in there as well. But we're going to try to summarize what's God's heart on this issue as best we can in a short amount of time then we are going to look at or discuss, hey, what are the different sides that even Christians take on this topic uh, policy-wise? What might Republicans kind of think? What might Democrats kind of think? Um, And and sometimes both are claiming God's heart in the matter. I've seen that before. Um, How can we appreciate what the other side is bringing and not just automatically be against it because it's the other party? Um, Are there gray areas in our response? Where is there not gray area? We can't budge. Um, And then what I'm most looking forward to in our discussions is that we talk about our uniquely kingdom actions that we might take. What actions might Christians be led to take that don't necessarily fall into a political party, but maybe rise above what would be expected out of the party system? And then, of course, after that discussion, we'll follow it up with other conversations, Sunday gatherings. We can kind of continue to talk about that. Maybe some of us will need to kind of confess and repent. And uh, after we've learned a little bit more of God's heart on the issue and to say, hey, I've I've got a a lot of room to grow in this. Um, I need to confess that I've slandered the other side in this. Um, I need to shift my kind of posture in this maybe I need to put actions where my mouth likes to talk oh, so freely other side. and so um, um, hold TV. on just a second I've got Siri talking to me there we go um, the goal for these discussions and this will just kind of help us set the tone our goal isn't only to be able to talk intelligibly about what the Bible has to say about these things though that is a goal Um, our goal is not either to land on which government policy is best okay we're gonna be tempted to go there but um, as you all know many policies have unintended consequences right because we're in the society where it's kind of a web of systems, and one thing affects another. And you might make one well-intended and good change in this area, but then the kind of ripple effect affects something else negatively, because everything's so tied together. I think of that with rent control. i experienced that in LA. Some of you have experienced that. It's, I think, a well-intended policy where they limit the hike that renters can have to pay, that the landlords can charge. And it's helpful, I think, to some people in the short run um, it's helpful to those who maybe don't have as much as as they need if their rent goes up. But at the same time, if you talked to I think any economist in the world, uh, they will tell you that ultimately rent control from what I understand, it it raises rent because, um, less landlords want to get into renting because they can't charge the rent that they need to rent. And because of that, the supply goes down. And so the prices go up. So just an unintended consequence of maybe something that had a good uh, purpose to begin with. I think of the same thing with COVID. It's like, man, there are some like, good reason to put some public health measures in place, right? It's not a bad idea to try to protect the, the public uh, from this health crisis. But at the same time, and now we can especially see some of the unintended results, uh, the the mental health breakdown and the depression and anxiety that has just skyrocketed, maybe because of some of the health protective measures that we've taken. So there's so many unintended consequences um, that it's it's hard for us to, and we're not going to try to just land on what's the best policy in this. Another thing is, in all of this, the motivation of our heart is so important right? Like um, y- you might think that part of our taxes should pay for more food stamps for people because you have a heart of compassion for those people in need and and God is honored in that heart of compassion. Um, but if you look for tax loopholes when you're filing your personal taxes because you really don't want those, Um, food stamps to come out of your pocket because you're really not all that compassionate, then God isn't honored with you virtue signaling that you think that we should provide more food stamps. Or the other way around, you might decide, hey, we need to eliminate food stamps. This is just an example. We may need to eliminate food stamps because it teaches people to uh, not work hard or to be lazy. And And I think it's actually hurting people, you might say. Well, I think there might be a heart that that God is honored in that and your discernment in that if you're genuinely wanting to help people. But if you're refusing to give your brother in need what he asks of you and you're kind of turning your heart against him in, in greed or in Pharisaism, God is not honored in that. So sometimes you can land on kind of a different governmental policy suggestion or solution and God may or may not be honored based on what your heart is in the matter so our goal isn't to land on policies in these conversations our goal okay here it is is to be more like jesus no surprise there if you've been involved in our churches we want to be more like jesus in our thoughts in our actions even in our feelings we want to become more like jesus Um, That's the goal of our churches, right, of everything that we do. We want to make disciples, and disciples are people who are becoming more like Jesus. And uh, we have to remember these conversations that everyone will look like Jesus a little differently, right? Because we're unique. We have different passions. Um, I could tell you of a friend who right now can't imagine why all of us aren't at an abortion clinic trying to talk people out of abortions. Like, why wouldn't we spend every one of our waking hours doing that? I've got another friend who can't imagine why every Christian family is not taking in refugees into their home. How could we lack such compassion and say that we believe in the God who's taken us in? So so we have different passions. We're gonna live out our faith a little bit differently. And I'm suggesting we need to be gracious in that. We aren't fully like Christ yet, and, um, and even the differences that we have uh, based because of our spiritual maturity. Some of us have been walking with Christ longer than others or more experienced in some things than other. I think Paul would say, only let us live up to what we have already attained, he says in Philippians. So we have to be very gracious with each other in our sanctification process, knowing though that our common goal in all of these conversations and everything that we do is to be more like Jesus. So here are a few things. I'm going to give you six quick things that we need to remember while we discuss these topics in the coming weeks. And I'm just warning you, I'm probably going to say something even in this next 15 minutes that bothers you. And, um, but what I want to do is kind of just set the table for our conversation um, to make sure you're at the right restaurant. Okay. Um, If, I read some scripture today that you're very familiar with. Um, I just ask you to please consider it afresh and uh, let's make sure that we're coming at these conversations with the same utensils, so to speak. Uh, The first one of those six things to set the table with is just this. We are not a Republican church. And we are not a Democrat church. We are a kingdom of God church. In the kingdom of God, there aren't parties, but there is a king who calls the shots. And fortunately, he's a good king, and he's a perfect king, and his ways lead to life. But he's the one who determines what we do, not our democratic vote. Um, Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. So above any national or party relationship, Our citizenship is in heaven and along with our brothers and sisters in Christ now I'm not suggesting by saying we're not a Republican or a Democrat church that we shouldn't have as individuals party affiliations Um, but we have to acknowledge I hope we can acknowledge that neither of our parties will always get it right because they're human run parties as opposed to the kingdom of God which is God run so God cares about the issues that are being discussed in politics that we're trying to weigh out and find solutions for. Like he has things to say. He has a stance and that's what we're hopefully going to land on some of that. So there's a right way, but I promise that that right way won't always land on the same side of the political aisle. Jesus tells Pilate, I think, "My, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would be fighting for me, um, that I wouldn't be delivered over, but my kingdom is not from this world. And so our citizenship is primarily in heaven. It's not a Republican connection or a Democrat connection. Secondly, we um, as Christ followers are on the same team. I know it sounds simple, but we've got to remember it. God has made us a spiritual family closer than any other bond a key word that we see in scripture is fellowship we are in fellowship with god and because of that we are in fellowship with each other we learn in first john Um, fellowship means partnership we are in partnership in mission in the propagation of the gospel through disciple making and and we have a common enemy we share that and the enemy isn't republicans and the enemy isn't democrats Uh, the enemy as paul says in ephesians 6 Um, He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Unity together in the church is imperative To our mission. Jesus prayed extensively for the unity of his followers in John chapter 17 so that the world would believe that Jesus was sent from God and that God loves them. Um, You can't read the New Testament. You can't read Paul without being bombarded with pleas and commands to be unified as a church. We're not going to be unified on every politician we vote for. Um, We're all kind of making concessions, right? Because we can't vote for Jesus. Um, But I don't think that's the kind of unity that God's requiring of us. We are to be united in truth. We share the same Bible. Um, We are united in who has authority over us, Jesus. We're united in mission, being more like Jesus and helping others become more like Jesus. So... Um, even in these conversations, if we have different kind of specifics, we're on the same team. we got to remember that as we look across the, the, the screen or across the living room for each other, we're the same family. We have the same mission. We have a common enemy. We're called to be united. One body, one spirit, one baptism, one Lord that we all share. It's important, important, important that we remember that. Because when we start talking, sometimes it's going to feel in the conversation like, uh-oh, we're, we must be on opposing teams. But I'm telling you, that's just what the enemy wants to accomplish in us. Thirdly, we must interact on these topics with respect and with humility. Respect and humility. Respect for people. If you would, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, we're going to look at a, a passage quickly here. Um, so when I say we, we have to have respect for people, I'm saying, yes, we have to have respect for each other as we talk about these things, but more than that, and as I want to draw out from 1 Peter, um, we need to have respect for everyone, especially our government officials. Let's go ahead and read 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 11 through 17. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, that's kind of how we're living right now, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And then here it is. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put silence, put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And then look at verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Notice, it doesn't matter if the emperor has earned your respect. Is he included in the command honor everyone? Yes, and especially, he says specifically honor the emperor. The emperor at the time is Emperor Nero, I believe, who's like the worst possible leader you could have. And we're supposed to, or the day people in Peter's day, we're supposed to give him honor. So we pay people honor as people who are created in the image of God um we won't look at these verses tonight but we're to honor the the institutions and the leaders of those institutions because for one reason god has ordained them so we honor and we respect them just one example in my own life that i try to implement to do that is when i'm referring to a a current or past president i try to always put president before their name president biden president trump president obama it's it it's easy to turn their names into kind of a derogatory thing. Well, Trump or Biden. Um, But if I put president before it just in my own heart, I know that that makes me to just give respect and honor to this person who God has designated to be in the place that they're in. So this is a tough one, right? I know it's gonna be tough as we have conversations that involve politics, um, especially depending on who your person is, if they're in office or not. Uh, but we need to choose our words very carefully. And then two, we need to have uh, humility in the knowledge that we have. Turn to James chapter three. James, one of my favorite books. Um, We need to remember that on a particular issue, we could be wrong, right? Uh, Either our understanding of the issue itself or our understanding of a good course of action to take based on the issue. So let's read from uh, James 3 verses 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? There's a great question for all of the political discussions and, and Facebook feeds and everything else where people are trying to come off as, oh, I've got this figured out. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, by the way, some commentators think that, that those words have an idea of like political rivalry behind them. So where it's, it's, you're so wrapped up in your side and being against the other side that you kind of lose all perspective. And that's what it means as it goes on to say, do not boast and be false to the truth. In other words, if you feel that bitter party rivalry, then then you've already lost. You're already foggy-headed in it. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's those party rivalry words again, there will be disorder in every vile practice, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, That means uh, you're willing to yield, or you're not stubborn, um, or you're easily persuaded. You want to be convinced of the truth, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is wisdom. Notice it's less about the informational content and more about the heart posture. Look at that list in verse 17 pure this is wisdom pure peaceable gentle open to reason full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere you're not going to get that from cnn you're not going to get that wisdom from fox news i hate to break it to you um but that's wisdom that's from above so the opposite of this respect and humility that we need to have in our conversations would be disrespect and, and and pride Uh, Which are both immoral right so let's not prop up our kind of moral political stand on our soapboxes with an immoral attitude behind it or what are we doing we've already lost. And I just think, man, if we could just practice those two things, how much would we stand out from the rest of the world? I don't hear anybody around me outside of the body of Christ who is able to talk with respect and humility about political issues and about government officials. Fourthly, we will focus on ourselves. This is kind of what I'm setting the table with. It's really easy to kind of point your finger at the world and say, well, you shouldn't live that way. But our aim isn't to make secular culture act Christian. Um, It's not our responsibility to hold America to Christian values. You can't make unregenerate people care about holiness. First Corinthians, Paul says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Romans 8 says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, the mind that is set on the flesh Paul says is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law listen that mindset on the flesh indeed it cannot submit to God those who are in the flesh Paul says cannot please God so I resonate with Jesus words in Matthew 7 don't give to the dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you y'all Non-Christians don't care what the Bible has to say. Non-Christians don't care that our founding fathers had some kind of quasi-Christian beliefs. Non-Christians don't care about God's righteousness. And it's not our responsibility to force them to care. When I read the New Testament, I don't see any commands really to, to fix the country that you live in. You'll find commands to fix yourselves, church. Paul would say, what have I to do with judging outsiders? And in First Thess- uh, Thessalonians, he says, um, like, mind your own affairs or something like that. So again, we don't have to like worry about what's going on around us and think to ourselves, oh my gosh, how can we stop this madness? We're going to hell in a handbasket. Um, because we can't make secular culture act Christian. But here's what we can do, and here's our focus. We, the the church can live differently. We do have the spirit of God. We do know right from wrong. And we are called as the church to stand out as different than secular culture or set apart from culture. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill that can't be hidden. Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they'll see your good works and give glory to your father who's in heaven. Paul says in Philippians that we are to be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, listen, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights holding fast to the word of truth. So the church is meant to be set apart as a counter culture who lives not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And we actually can do that. So instead of spending all of our energy trying to make citizens of the world behave like kingdom citizens, let's focus on ourselves, our own hearts. Let's show the kingdom of God and how we live with with our morality in the church, with our generosity to the poor, with our housing of the immigrants and the fatherless. And with these good works then in the church, we're set apart, we shine as a light and we beckon Americans into another much better kingdom than they could ever experience anywhere else so we'll focus on ourselves the action that 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 we the church are able to take not the action that we wish that the world around us would take the last two these will be a little quicker um, setting the table for how we want to talk about these things I think we should recognize the difference between fighting for injustice for myself And fighting for uh, justice for others. There's a difference between when I fight for justice for myself and when I fight for justice for somebody else. To fight for myself, for what I deserve, for my rights, for my religious liberties is just not the way of Jesus. Jesus, who is our model, our example, willingly endured injustice against himself for something greater. That passage that we looked at in 1 Peter 2 goes on to say this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. That's a gracious thing. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and you suffer for it and you endure or you you suffer unjustly, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this, listen, for to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving for you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, I mean, the ultimate injustice from man, sinful mankind against the son of God. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And he's our example. That passage, by the way, is in the context of submitting yourselves to human institutions and slaves to masters, even when submitting to those who are unjust to you. Now, the second part of that, fighting for justice for others, especially the marginalized, uh, you may have more biblical grounds to be involved with that. Sixth and lastly um, is just this suggestion. We probably shouldn't talk too loud about those issues that we are unwilling to get our hands dirty with. Jesus, Jesus, he didn't just tell us to care for marginalized people, he helped them himself. He didn't just say, heal the leper, he touched the leper himself. He didn't just stand for truth for anything that he wasn't willing to himself participate in. He didn't just tell us, you need to be servants, he became a servant himself. There's nothing worse than a virtue signaler. I don't want us to be virtue signalers. Don't say that we should raise taxes to help the poor and then cheat on your taxes so you don't have to help the poor. That would be like what Jesus says of those that honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Um, Just from James 3 again, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it. That's the way the NIV says it or the New Living Translation says, prove it. If you're wise or understanding in these matters, prove it by your good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. My kind of forward paraphrase of the book of James would be, stop talking, start doing. Stop talking, start doing. So let's not just get wrapped up in talking in theory about these ideas and these policies of what we think would be best for people and think we're fixing some kind of problem. No, let's ourselves do good to people and I really look forward to our conversations um, in these coming weeks on each of these topics on our the kingdom actions that we can take again that may kind of rise above even what republicans and democrats or independents or libertarians can come up with okay so just to to hit it one more time we're not a republican church we're not a democrat church we are a kingdom of god church We as Christ followers are on the same team. We gotta remember that. We must interact on these topics with respect and humility. We should focus on ourselves. We need to recognize the difference between fighting for justice for ourselves and fighting for justice for others, the latter being a more biblical idea. And we probably shouldn't talk too much about the issues that we're not willing to get dirty ourselves with. So I'll just end here and then we'll have some discussion again our goal in all of these things is to be more like jesus and we believe that the ways of christ as described in scripture lead to life it's what we want more than to be right more than to be on the same team or the right side of history or whatever you want to say christ ways bring life that's what we truly want so can we all just agree Jesus is our King. His kingdom is our desire because his ways are perfect and good. We can trust him because he is perfect and good and we have tasted some of his goodness and we've experienced his life. So let's work together to continue in that way.